We want to start this episode by acknowledging the Gadigal and the Wongal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this very podcast. We also pay our deep respect to Elders past, present and future, always was, always will be. This podcast may contain discussions about violence, drug use, and it's most definitely going to contain a lot of foul language. Hi everyone, we're here, we're actually here. This is truly exciting for us. Really exciting. It's been a long time, a lot longer than we would have hoped. Mm. We are in Sydney and we have been in lockdown for 7,000 years. Five weeks. We have to record at my house because I can't go out of my house. But I can come here. And look, I think... Hopefully, you out there listening are like, good job, DJ Morgs. Yeah, because uh, I live in a noisy spot. So if you hear some stuff, just forgive it, forgive, let it go. It's no noisier than me next to a highway next door to a mosque. It's true. But Ramadan was wild. Ramadan was wild. (laughs) I mean, we planned to record this episode Five weeks ago. Yeah. Um, We were ready to go that week. Lockdown happened and we were like, I guess we better do the right thing. Yeah, and also we were like, oh, it'll be a couple weeks and it just is uh, getting progressively a lot. We're going to start a drinking game at the press conference, which happens at 11am, but I'm cool with that. I do one every morning. (laughs) Every time she says, we're following the health advice. Anyway. Anyway, you don't care. You're in like... You're in America or you're in the UK and you're like, fuck off, dude. We've been in lockdown for like a year and a half, you asshole. Also, we acknowledge acknowledge that we have listeners from other places in the world. They're just um, our biggest listenership. Yeah, you're really taking up space and I like it. Me too. We did get, we charted in Egypt, so shout out to any. Yeah, shout out to Egypt. Thank you very much. The first place we've charted, uh, very exciting. I really want to visit you and I hope one day I can. And if you are listening from Egypt, please send us an email or like a fucking Instagram DM or something. We would love it. I am very excited. So. Enough chit-chat. You've got three and a half minutes of bullshit there. Yep. Congratulations. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention an update that I received, and this is an alleged update. Ooh. So I received this from a source who will remain nameless, <gasps> but you know who you are. And you are an exquisite queen of joy who I love deeply. I want to know who it is. Will you tell me later? Here's the tea. Okay. I I will. So for our international listeners, Christmas 2020 was touch and go and it was the week of Jesus' birthday and then we were all hanging on every word our state government had to say to know whether... Yeah, COVID. It was closing in. Yeah, so we we wanted to know whether Christmas would be cancelled because there was an outbreak. 
Um, so what they decided to do was basically just lock down like a section of the of Sydney, um, the Northern Beaches to be specific. Which I have a huge problem with and I'm sorry if you're from there. It's just, I mean, Cara's from there. I am. <laughs> People from there are fine, but if they stay... Don't! <laughs> Anyway. Listen, I've had some beef with some people on the internet from the Northern Beaches this week. Yeah, not great. Um, So according to my stunningly beautiful source, allegedly, Marky Mark Wahlberg (gasps) was the funky Grinch who stole Christmas. Mark Wahlberg? If you're interested in him, it's season two, episode five. But... (gasps) That's right. Because he moved here. So did Matt Damon. He, I don't know if he, he didn't move here. He came here. but Like for a movie. What, not even a movie. He like, he apparently, yeah, he started this outbreak because (laughs) he, well, he was here for like a bullshit gambling commercial (gasps) and to open a Wahlburgers. Which just made me hate him so much more. I I fucking hate gamblers. Yeah, we do. Not gamblers, sorry. We hate gambling. I hate I'm, I seriously take that back. I fucking hate gambling and I hate the way our government fucking allows the I know, ads because it be makes them so much money. It's disgusting. But while there are so many people who are unable to get back to Australia and while the citizens of both North Korea and Australia, only ones in the world, are unable to leave without permission, mm. Mark Wahlberg waltzes in. Yeah. Does his bullshit ad and steals Christmas. What a piece of shit. Yeah. It's my news. <gasps> I Allegedly. Love I love it. Also, have you have you <laughs> Benefer is fucking popping oh, off. Mate. I loved all those like side by sides of them on a yacht like a million years ago and him touching her butt and then them on a yacht. That's now, from the Jenny from the Block film clip. And him touching her butt. It's fucking amazing. It's so good. JLo wore a ne- I saw today she wore a necklace with Ben on it. Oh for fuck's sake. I you mean, know what? There's no two ways about it. Let's get on to today's episode. Okay, now you've had Seven minutes and 20 <laughs> seconds of bullshit. That wasn't bullshit. They were updates. They were pertinent well, updates. That's true. Uh, we are going back to our youth tonight. Yeah. So I'm going to start off. And I have to be honest, I've never really been into the Smashing Pumpkins. They've just never really been my jam. I can't believe that. I know. <laughs> I was obsessed with them. No, not me. But this isn't about me. Okay. This is about you and Billy Corgan. <sighs> we all know how superficial I am, and I must say zero coochie tingle for Billy. Oh, I don't have a cooch tingle for Billy Corgan. I think you do. Ew! No, 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 no. <laughs> all right, well, let's start from the very beginning. A very good place to start. <laughs> right. Okay. Did you know Billy is a fucking wrestling promoter? That's not the beginning, but did what? you know that? No. So bizarre. That is funny. I, I mean, yeah. I like it. I'm not into wrestling at all, but it's just very weird to me. <laughs> anyway, so baby Billy was born in 1967 on March 17th. He shares a birthday with Patty Boyd. Nat King Cole and Rob Kardashian. Oh, Rob Kardashian. Poor fucking Rob. Poor Rob. And my favourite Rob of all, actually, um, Rob Lowe. Oh, I like him too. Love him. That man. 
<laughs> and Grimes too. There's oh. loads of fucking famous people with that date of birth. Okay. It's a day for talented folks. It is. He had a tumultuous childhood, which I feel like I say a lot. Um, his papa was a musician, a blues and rock guitarist, no less. Good. He's the oldest of the kiddies. Uh, he has a younger brother and a younger stepbrother, which brings me to the fact that his parents divorced <laughs> in 1970. It happened. And his dad was like, he remarried... Um, a lady to a lady called Penelope. She's a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. And Billy said his stepmother was abusive to him and he also said his dad was a, and I quote, drug-dealing, gun-toting musician madman. Oh, our, our lead singers have something in common. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, so is my dad, but like the accountancy version. So is my dad. Um <laughs> His dad wasn't. <laughs> his dad wasn't a supportive man by Billy's account, but he did suggest some music for little Billy to listen to and get inspired by, like the likes of uh, Jimi Hendrix. Were implored. Yeah, like I mean, my dad had great taste, but he was a shit dad. Oh. Good yeah. music, shit dad. Great. Same as Billy. That's can't, can't win mean, them all. You can't win them all. <laughs> you can't. You can have a nice guy who listens to. Gary Glitter. Gary fucking Glitter. Like, not only is he a pedophile, his music is really bad. There's one song I like. I can't can't remember. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Billy was quite an athlete at one point, but weren't we all? Yes. Uh, Some of you may be shocked to find out. I played basketball, a point guard, an aggressive little beast who got fouled out all the time and would not leave the court when bleeding. So back to Billy. His athleticism and prowess faded and he decided music was his passion. (laughs) So he was into like Black Sabbath and Queen and Van Halen, Cheap Trick. Yes. In, he seems to have loved a lot of artists that I loved as a teen Same. as well. All of those. He's um, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he graduated as an honor student, which I'm not quite sure what it means, but I think it sounds means good. You, you did really well. Yeah, he got lots of offers from many a college, uh, but Billy was like, "Nah, fuck it, music pour moi. That's what I'm doing." Um, so in 1985, he moved to Florida looking for more like musical opportunities. What? <laughs> I know. It's like Marilyn Manson. <laughs> I know. We've spoken about it before. I was like, is that really the place? <laughs> I, I, I feel think like a weird we just have like, goth. We, we have like a really skewed view of what like Florida is. And maybe it's a place to, it's the place to be for like people other than serial killers. Like in the late 80s. Yeah. (laughs) He was in a couple of bands. uh, The Marked, which was named after the fact that Billy and his bandmate Ron both have prominent birthmarks. Mm. Billy's takes up quite a lot of real estate on his left arm. I like the name. It's a good band name. Yeah. Then there was Deep Blue Dream. Terrible. Right. Hate it. And then... (laughs) And then the one and the only, the Smashing Pumpkins, came to be. And that happened in one of the greatest years in history, 1988. Mm. 
the year of the bicentenary. <laughs> the year of the bicentenary, baby, <laughs> and uh, the dragon in uh, <laughs> Chinese birth. astrology. Is it astrology? Okay, um, I don't. I think so. So, and I, I, I am just. I'm going to be honest here. Okay. I tried to listen to the Smashing Pumpkins music while I wrote this and it was just not enjoyable for ah! me. Nasal, party of one. I listened to it. I listened to Siamese Dream, I would say, at the very least once a month. It is such a good album. And it's I've, their best album. And I've been listening to it since, what did it come out, 1993, Can't remember, but I will tell you. Okay, great. Um, so initially the Smashing Pumpkins were comprised of Billy and two others, I don't really know how to pronounce their names. Like James Eha, Eha, I said Aha, Aha, and Darcy Redsky, and then came Jimmy Chamberlain, and, mm. and that name made me feel pretty confident to pronounce. Um, and that was the gang. <laughs> and their debut album was Gish, and that was released in 1999. Also, a pretty good album. Yeah, that that went um, pretty good. Like, it was all, it. It was pretty successful, but then watch out because, as you mentioned, here comes a little album I like to call Siamese Dream <laughs> because that's what it's called, <laughs> and it did very, very well. Because it's incredibly Multi-platinum. Good. There's nothing like it. It went wild. I love it. Um, so that was 1993. Okay, there you go. I was 14. It was perfection. It was, it was great timing I for was you. Ripe for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it um, it went multi platinum actually, meaning that it sold over two million copies. Woo! That's pretty amazing. Like second album. That's hoops. Very impressive. Billy. Um, also, I think it's quite funny because Amber's beautiful, gorgeous dog is named Billy, so it's very funny. It is. It's going to be it weird time. this whole episode. Pretty much. And we call him Big Dick Billy because he has, BDP. he has a big dick, my dog. It's pretty off-putting. I don't know. We often Billy joke about how it. he um, rests his dick when he sits down. <laughs> he's giving it a rest. <laughs> uh, he's poor lower back. Uh. <laughs> Um, okay, so then they release, release Melancholy um, and the Infinite Sadness, which I feel like is right up your alley and definitely up mine hey, at the moment. I, it is a great name for an album. It's a great name. I feel that. Totally. In the roller coaster that we're in right now, the Infinite Sadness often rears its ugly head and just cascades down on me. A new girl that started at my work this week said to me the other day, I said, how are you doing? And she went, oh, I mean, just like, what's the point in living? Like, we can't travel. And then just walked off. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, that's not funny. And I did check on her again and we had a longer conversation, but I was just like, and when she said that, I was like, she's right. I know. And she was, oh, that's the other thing she said. What kind of future do we have? Oh, my God. It's so dark (laughs) but so true. And I was like. I don't know you. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of future? I only learnt your name yesterday, but I hope you're okay, dude. Absolutely. I do as well. Anyway, back to the album. It got nominated for a flippin' seven Grammy Awards. Good. And it went fucking ten times platinum. Wee! That's hopes. Yeah, it's fucking loads. And things got really sad after this. Oh. 
Uh, so yeah, let's just get sadder. Um, so when the band toured, they had a fellow named Jonathan Melvoin who played keyboard. Um, so it's like 1996, Jonathan and Jimmy Chamberlain were in New York and they did some heroin together and Jonathan died, which is uh, fucking horrible. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy was loving that shit. Yeah, so the band decided that after this, Jimmy had to get the boot. Yeah. And he was also charged by the police. Was that right after that album? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um. It was a real bad time for Billy as well. When it rains, it fucking pours. Mm. Uh, he was going through a divorce and then his mum died as a well. divorce? I didn't know he even got married. Yeah, that he was quite... a whole section. No, I'm not going to talk that much about his love life. Oh. He's married now again and he's got children, but I, I'm not going to talk about this. There's not enough time. You've got a big heavy hitter. So, okay. um, but yeah, he was married, but the kind of details of that, he, he never spoke about it in public. I may have, I may say that later, but he was very cagey mm. and it was very private. I'm going to Google her. Mm. Oh, definitely do. <laughs> um, and then the band released a real dark and grim album, which was apt given the way things were going, um, and that was in 1988. No, sorry, 1998, and it was called Adore. The year after, with arms wide open, the band were like, Jimmy, you fucking galah, you can come on back and hit the skins. Oh, that's nice because he's good at it. Yeah, he is. Um, then in 2000, the band released Machina, The Machines of God. Never heard it. No. I just, I've dropped, I dropped off. That was a concept album and I'm going to be honest again, as I so often am, I didn't quite understand what a concept album was, but I do now. Right, so it was their, the, oh yeah, that, that album that you've never heard of was their second lowest selling album. Yeah, sorry, you can't win them all. It's my fault. I, I, that's it's, what, <laughs> I'm sorry. They've done pretty good before, but... um. It still sold like I think it was more uh, like half a million ish copies. So you know that's that's a pretty big number. It's not nothing, and it's their not other albums are probably still selling. Whatever. Absolutely, things were pretty rocky. Like in the background in the band, um, like geology, rocky. Like it was not going well, and. Darcy was like, fuck this shit, I'm quitting the band. And then a certain Melissa Alfdemore. Oh, love her. From a band we both thoroughly enjoy. Enjoy. Hull. I more than enjoy them. You love them. Yeah. You have a tattoo of their lyrics. Yeah, I, I love them. So she joined the band for what would be their final tour. It, it works. Yeah. The band announced they were calling it quits. It was the year 2000. It was a great fucking year for Sydney. We had the Olympics. It was the <laughs> best New Year's fireworks display I'd ever seen in my life. But it was a rough one for the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah. They released one final album, Machina 2, The Friends and Enemies of Modern Music. It's a mouthful. Also never heard it. No. Didn't Billy, even know about it. He, he joined New Order after that for a tour they really? did, which is pretty cool. Like, I like New Order. Yeah. I like them a lot more than the Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> to be fair. Billy goes and meets Jimmy and says, I just can't quit you, man. And they form Zwan. Zwan. Z-W- Z-W-A-N. 
It's like that um, actor Steve Zahn. <laughs> I love Steve Zahn. <laughs> we made like love him we, so much. May when we were in like year ten, I think we made this huge collage of like men we thought were hot at school, really <gasps> utilizing our time. You thought Steve Zahn was hot? We had a soft spot for him, but we just thought he was funny and oh, funny looking. So great. I love him. God, I love him. So there was a couple of other bros in that <laughs> band: David Pio, Paz. Lenchant. Never heard of them. Never ever heard of them ever in my whole life. <laughs> Matt Sweeney. <laughs> and this band was a bit of a diversion from the pumpkins. Um Zwan just had the one album though. Um Billy went a bit wild and he started publishing a lot of mean things, telling all meany mean things on the internet. Oh god. On like MySpace. Oh, no, <laughs> Billy. Um, like a blog? I, he had a blog and also <laughs> on MySpace. He was double down. And, and he was, who was he talking about? Are you going to tell me later? Uh, no, I'm not going to get into that, but like he was talking about his bandmates. Oh, rude. Yeah. That's so rude. I wonder who was in his top eight. Oh. Was it eight? I can't even remember. Mm. Um, he also, he published a book of poetry. Oh, great. Which was on the New York Times bestseller list, which is all right. Look, there's a lot of Smashing yeah. Pumpkins nerds in the world. I mean, like, Stacey Schroeder from ba- Vanderpump Rules, her book was on the New York Times mm-hmm. bestseller <laughs> list, so let's put things into perspective. <laughs> um, so let me have a sip. So then Billy tried his hand at a solo career for a bit. Bad idea. Yep. The Future Embrace was his big dick debut. <laughs> It didn't sell very well. Oh, and then of in no, not. no. I mean, like we spoke about, like the Morris. I've never heard any of Morrissey's solo stuff. No, and I don't I, I care too. I believe that he's pretty successful solo. I don't care for it or him or him. So I don't want it. But I can't really think of many who's left a band in, besides Justin Timberlake. But I don't really think that like NSYNC or whatever is like a band. Ronan Keating. <laughs> no, but they're not bands. Yeah, but can you think of like hey, a Ronan real Keating. band where someone left, went and did a solo career and like actually was good? I can't. Oh, they fucking must be. We have savvy Listeners, please let us know if you can think of even one person. Dave Grohl. I mean, his band was, oh no, he wasn't solo. solo. He went to a different band. band. Okay, you're right. (laughs) I'm sorry. Amber is having um, a drink um, and she got ice cubes out of my freezer, (laughs) and there is just a dick ice cube that's slowly melting and it looks really funny. And it's quite big compared to other ice cubes, (laughs) which is why you may hear extra ice cube clinks tonight. It's not my fault. I like a dick ice cube tray. I'm back on the margaritas, guys. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Amber made jalapeno tequila. Yeah, look, it's very simple. It's great. Um, Okay, let's get back to it. Google it. Then in 2005, Billy was like, fellas, let's get the band back together. Oh. And do you want to know how he did this? Tell me everything. So this is like the grand gesture that they talk about in like romantic films. Yeah. He took a full page ad out in two of the biggest newspapers in Chicago proclaiming his wish to reform the Smashing Pumpkins. Bananas. And being like, please, Darcy and James and I don't think he said Jimmy. please. No. 
But like, what if they were out of town? I mean, they they'd hear about it probably. I mean, but it reminds me of love song dedications. I don't know if you ever used to listen to that on one hundred six point five. I sure did. Yeah, well, like, what if your special someone wasn't listening to Richard Mercer and he just dulcet tones at that exact moment? Yeah. I know. I think about it all the time. Like, do you call them beforehand and be like, quick, turn on Mix 106.5? <laughs> Spoil Yes, it. you do. That's what you do. You'd have to. And it's less romantic and interesting. Absolutely. Which is really sad. People just don't really listen to the radio anymore. And that really is sad. I listen to it in the car um, sometimes. But that's because you don't have... Oh, yeah, I don't have a, a fancy car. <laughs> <laughs> I have CDs. I was like, this is the height of sophistication. <laughs> when I first got that car a grillion years ago. Shout out to the people I used to work for. Thank you for that. That's very nice of them. They gave me the car. I raised their children. Okay, so the band got back together. They had some different members, but who cares? They toured a dick load. I mean, that's where the money is, I guess. Mm. Um, Got to get the fucking paper. And during this time, uh, Billy also started another band, Spirit in the Sky. Lame. That's a song. The worst song, too. I hate that song. Because it's religious? Yes. Yeah, I like it. I, I, can, I used to like get into it, but yeah. there are songs about relige, I guess, about spirituality that I think are great, like that George Harrison one that I... My Sweet Lord. Yeah, I great. listen to that all the time, fucking love it. I know, but I replace some um, some of the words with penis, which I find quite funny sometimes. Wow, that is... <laughs> That is a disrespectful. Cut above, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To not just the Lord, but <laughs> to, George. to George. I know. I know. I'm a dick. Uh, anyway. Uh, My sweet penis? <laughs> is that what you say? I'm not getting into the details. Um, uh, Anyway, so Spirit in the Sky was like this real rat king, like of various members of 90s bands that put rat together. King. <laughs> like Billy kept writing and he, and he was he, he was very prolific. Like he kept writing and recording both in both bands and doing solo <laughs> shit as well. And I think the Smashing Pumpkins have released 11 albums total. What? Yeah. Wow. Um, he's a photographer too. Ugh. Loves taking pictures, and he put Same. them on his blog. <laughs> so cute! I want to see it. Yeah, is maybe it we still can... around. It must be the internet's written in blood. That's true. Mm. Someone on Reddit's like posted the whole thing. So. I bet. So, shall we discuss the wrestling stuff? Is this bad? Are we up to bad stuff? Not yet. Okay. Let's let's discuss it. Okay, let's discuss it. It's one of our top five topics. I'm fucking Rest- kidding. Wrestling? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I can't be asked to talk about the wrestling stuff. Who gives a shit? We know it's very odd. So he had one company <laughs> called Resistance Pro, which sounds pretty serious. And then there was Total Nonstop Action Wrestling. What? Yeah. Are you sure it's the same Billy Corgan? Yes, 100%. Is it on Wikipedia? Yes, it's on multiple places. Okay. Name is real. I think it's quite rude that you're questioning my researching <laughs> abilities. Like I just mixed up Billy Corgan from Michigan or something. It just seems crazy. And then the f- uh, finally, like this is the final 
I don't know what, what like company name was National Wrestling Alliance, which sounds like it's a cute community. Sure, but if you said it like National Wrestling Alliance, <laughs> then it sounds the same as the others. Yeah, I've re- yeah, <laughs> I've curated that. Um, he's mates with Dennis Rodman, and may Ugh. I take this moment to suggest the documentary The Last Dance, another fun unknown car effect. I like watching professional basketballers play between 1991 and 1993. Exclusively. It's beautiful. It's a dance. It is. Uh, he's also fucking obsessed with ba- baseball and the Chicago Cubs and he loves baseball cards. Ugh. Do you collect anything? Yeah, but like cool stuff. I think I've got a pretty wicked stamp collection in my inheritance. <laughs> Lucky. Thank you, Grandpa Merv. Uh, I collect empty wine bottles. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We've been empty trying to purge those. beer bottles, empty <laughs> growlers. I just like them. And then you put plants in them, cuttings. One day. <laughs> now, this I enjoyed. Uh, Billy's big influences are some of our heavy hitters from season three. Yes. We've got William S. Burroughs. We've Boom. got Jack Kerouac. Yep. And then there's the sire of toxic masculinity himself, Pablo Picasso. Uh, everybody fucking loves Pablo Picasso. Yeah. I mean. Do you love Pablo Picasso? <laughs> All right, I've had three margaritas, okay? <laughs> Do you love him? No. Does everybody still love him? I don't. Tell us if you still love Pablo Picasso because he was a real tool. But his paintings are really good. Yeah, I'll give him that. <laughs> uh, so Billy wrote songs for Lost Highway and Batman and Robin. I saw Batman and Robin at the cinema back in 1997. Ew. Loved it. I had a boner for Chris O'Donnell and Uma Thurman. I mean, not to Uma, but Chris O'Donnell was like... Who's high? It was like a shitty Matt Damon Oh and my. Matt Damon is shitty. Oh my god, he's so much better than he Matt looks Damon. exactly the same. He looks nothing he like looks him. Exactly. The Kirsten same. Dunn's husband looks like Matt Damon. But no, a weird he doesn't. Version. He. Do you know who I'm talking about? I know exactly who you're talking about. He looks he, exactly like he's him. from Friday Night Lights, which he, is one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Chris O'Donnell. He looks absolutely nothing like him. I will is, fight you to the death. I will kill you. I'm gonna kill you I'm later. Gonna fucking kill you it's in fine. your sleep. I've got a knife, but I'm gonna sleep. Next to you, and then I'm going to kill you. All right, this might be the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, woo. I was going to say that um, I've gone red in the face, and so have you. <laughs> I think that 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 Batman was on TV not too long ago, and I watched it. Was like so bad. Who's the Batman? George Clooney. Oh, I think was oh was um. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger is atrocious. He makes so like bad. ice puns all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. It's really bad. It, those movies, like the first one was incredible with Jack Nicholson as the Joker. What's his fucking And Danny name? DeVito as the Penguin. Michael Keaton. That's it. And Michelle Pfeiffer. Great. But also still silly, you know. It's silly. But it's not as kitsch as the TV show. Mm. But it's all, I mean, obviously nowhere near as serious as the new Batman movies. No. But it didn't need to continue. Um, anyway, yeah, so he was pretty involved in Nobody's Daughter, which was initially meant to be Courtney Love's solo album, mm. but it evolved into a whole album. Even though it's not a whole album because there's no other members of whole 
actually playing on it. But bizarrely was released as a whole album. Yes, it is bizarre and weird. Mm-hmm. And we don't like it. It's a Courtney Love song. I mean, I don't really care either way. Wow. But rude. I think he did some like arranging and general attempts at like controlling everything, something like that. I think that's his specialty. Mm. Um, he likes God a lot. Mm. Uh, yeah. In a two- really? Yeah. What? Uh, in 2010, in a Rolling Stone article written by Brian Hyatt, he mentions putting his faith in God and praying to God frequently. Wow. He gives credit to God for not killing himself. I think you should give credit to yourself, Billy. Not God. That's weird. Uh, in another Alternative Nation article, he said, I did accept Jesus as my guide and light out of the darkness. All the power to you, mate. Wow. All right, you stunningly beautiful woman with intelligence unrivaled. (laughs) Why do you love this fella? And tell me, what the heck has he got against pumpkins? (laughs) (laughs) So as we earlier briefly discussed, 1993, I was 14. I had these two friends at school, Grace and Gav. They were fucking rad weirdos. I... Loved them. They weren't like my besties. They were besties together. Mm-hmm. And um, so, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Low on fear so you can but slam I a just, damn fast. I have all these really lovely memories of hanging out at his house with Grace and listening to that. They were fucking obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, and I... It just became like an after-school soundtrack for me. I love it. And I get that. My that's same similar with me with who you're doing. And I just still I still listen to them all the time. I just at least once a month gives me so much joy. Hmm. I don't. I mean, I don't know if that time in my life was particularly like joyful. <laughs> we were running away from footies after school and stuff. Footies. Yeah, that's what we called like bogans or rednecks or whatever back then. Okay. We called them footies. That's a, I've never heard that before. I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, that's a pretty boring story. But that's why, like, it's, it was, uh, it's embedded in my mind. I hope you don't ruin him forever. I'll give it a red hook go. <laughs> okay. All right. So Billy is a big control freak. Oh, it's a widely known fact. Yeah. Like he would play like all of the parts during the Smashing Pumpkin days. Like he'd be like, no, I'm going to play the part. I'm going to play the part. Like while they were recording. Yeah. Oof, that's so brutal. Um, there was like this big old feud between Billy and Darcy, mm-hmm. former bassist of the Smashing Pumpkins. So she said he was, and I quote, insufferable. Yeah. She also said he had a brain tumour, which is like not a sick burn and it's a weird thing to say. Darcy also said that Billy can't sing for shit. She didn't speak to the <laughs> press for like 20 years and then she... Like while she was in the band? No, after. She oh. didn't speak for 20 years and then and then she did speak and she had a lot to say. Oh, juicy. Yeah, so there was an article published announcing the uh, Smashing Pumpkins reunion um, and then there were these, like, comments on the article online and they were made by a user called Faye What? What? 
And the journalist, Brett Buchanan, was like, hmm, these comments seem like they're from someone in the know. It's fucking Darcy. It's goddamn Darcy. That tricky bitch. I'm I into know. it. I love it. And Spill so, the tea. So she Spill shared <laughs> she shared like this text conversation with old mate Billy and he was like, there's no room for error. And it's like, relax, Billy. We're all human. Except for Rupert Murdoch, of course. Yeah. He's, he's a, not. No. Or, yeah. No. There's quite a few of them. Tony Abbott's also in there. Um, <laughs> also, he sent like a million texts without any response and she's like screen grabbed them. And oh, what a craze. There was like, lo- like loads. Of him being abusive? Or? Not necessarily, but just like he's not getting any responses <laughs> and he's just like, bam, 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 bam. And uh. yeah. I do that to you sometimes. I do to you as well. So it's like, like sorry, equal. I was working. <laughs> no, but that. <laughs> so also at the time, Darcy wasn't doing great and there was some kind of situation with her shoulder. She was having some medical issues. Um, in the article, she said he thinks it's a privilege for anyone to be in his presence. Ugh. So therefore he shouldn't have to tell me and I shouldn't have to be invited. I'm going to run off a couple of quotes for you now Please. from this article. Of from Darcy. Yeah. Okay, great. Firstly, Billy demands 150% loyalty from everyone but gives none. Oh, yuck. And honestly, I will tell you that this whole feud shenanigan is like very complicated and there's lots of layers and um, I'm like cherry picking what I want to include sure. because it's a lot. Um, So Darcy said that Billy never did any of his own dirty work. Like he would always have someone else make the call to her or to someone he was delivering any kind of bad news to. Right. Like never make that call himself. Which is pretty gross if he's not like. Or if he was asking for something, he'd never ask for it himself. He'd make his like PA do it. Yeah. Ooh. Um, That's pretty gross when you've been in a band with someone for so many years. Imagine if I got someone to call you. (laughs) I'd be like, can you please tell Cara to go fuck herself Mm. and then just, like, give me a call. Exactly. When she's more relaxed. And she she did mention um, the let's get back together newspaper thing. Oh, yeah. And she said it annoyed her because, as she puts it, call me yourself, motherfucker, what's wrong with you? Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, and she also says he's, like, too (laughs) too insecure to do his own solo thing but wanting to take credit for everything. Yeah, right. Um, Which kind of harks back to the Billy getting a stiffy over control. Yeah. Uh, She says that everything was awful, touring, recording, awful. Oh, and that she was under so, and this is fucking terrible, she was under so much stress that she horribly had a miscarriage. Oh, no. She didn't even tell anyone except for like, she didn't tell her bandmates kind of thing. I think eventually. But oh, God. It's a very lengthy interview and in it Darcy said, there's so much ugliness. Billy loved to humiliate people and shame people in front of other people. It was incredibly abusive and I was the only one who would fight back. She also claims that it was agreed that all earnings would be split evenly. But when it came down to it, Billy took a much bigger Ugh. chunk of the change than the other bandmates and denied ever agreeing to any kind of equal split. Oh, what a prick. Rude. I know. Yeah, he's definitely got that saying, make sure everybody knows anything he's done. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, Darcy said that Billy was a Trump supporter in this as well. Oh, my God. I looked into it a bit. So the... <clears throat> The only nod to this I found related to a story that came out about Cheeto Dust Trump paying multiple sex workers to piss on the bed that Michelle Obama and her husband had slept on. <gasps> what? Yeah, in a hotel. It was, and then also when that news story broke, what? hashtag golden showers and hashtag Water sport gate were trending. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Yeah, because... Isn't it so fucking wild to think of all the atrocious and fucking horrifying things true, that the president grabbed them by the pussy did? Like, you just forget So stuff. that one's just like, ah. It's a time to avoid remembering. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, it was just so, there was, we were inundated by it's horrific true. things. Every day it was just like, ah, uh, Exactly. Uh. You were, like, dodging them. Fuck. Um, and then so Billy was on this, like, shock jock radio show and he said, I hate to make the most obvious point. If you've got $10 billion, you're not hiring hookers. We call them sex workers. Thanks, Billy. Ugh. And he was criticised for this and responded saying, I'm a free market libertarian capitalist. I'm not anti-anything except the establishment. I find institutions and systems suspicious. Oh, you're so cool. Did he just become the dude at the party with a guitar? <laughs> like, did that just happen? He became, you know, everyone's dickhead cousin. 100%. He posts conspiracy theories on Facebook. Mm-hmm. The next story is from a fellow named Bradford Cox, <laughs> a very odd-looking man. And he is the singer in a band named Deer Hunter. And they supported the Smashing Pumpkins in North Carolina in 2007. Okay. So here's what Bradford says happened. And I should say Billy's people firmly deny this. So (laughs) Bradford walks off stage and grabs a bottle of water from like this big pile. And then a security person says, what the fuck are you doing? That's Mr. Corgan's water. Uh, A pile of water. And then he smashed him against the wall. The security guy. Um, that's not okay. No. And then the following day, they're in like a new town. It's the next gig. Bradford said, like this person came up to him and said, Mr. Corgan, we'll see you now. And then he was led <laughs> onto, onto the stage where Billy was like sat. On the stage? Like there, sound there were, checking? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. There were no, no people. Um, and then allegedly he said, I have been causing a lot of trouble. Do you know who you are? You're shit. Whoa. You're a shitty little insignificant fucking indie rock band. <laughs> and you were invited, not by me. Who knows what fucking idiot <laughs> in my management did this, but you were invited to open for the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, my God. It's pretty rude. Well, it's very, It's pretty like, bullying. Well, it's very, like, evil... Dr. Evil, like something like that. Like, yeah. did he have a hairless cat on his lap? Like, that's ridiculous. Do you know who you are? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, what a dickhead. Um, Bradford also said that um, they threw Deer Hunter's drummer, Moses, they threw his kit down some stairs and, like, Broke it. Uh, 
Okay, that's not okay. But then... That's malicious damage to property. I agree. And then Corgan's people said they had video footage and that the statement was intentionally slanderous. What? And that it was untrue. They said, no, this never fucking happened. We have, we, we have video footage of this entire encounter and okay, none of this show happened. show us the footage. Yeah, and then, Brad, this is, then Bradford came back with this, like, long statement about, you know, there's two sides to every story and how he was embarrassed and that he respects people who work hard and play music for, like, ages and uh, I don't know. So that kind of, like, dampens that whole thing. Well, that's weird. But he said, like, this is my recollection. But it's, I don't know, maybe he was threatened with legal action. Probably, Who knows? yeah. Let's go Who with knows? that. So obviously I'm well aware of how to get you on side because we're in love. No, no. Let's talk Courtney love. Okay. Firstly, every time Courtney enters the Sorry He Sucks research scene, like I just struggle to move past how incredibly vilified she is in pop culture and the like on the yep. internet. And that's why I yell at you. I know. And I <laughs> like I get that I know. And I know she, you're not against her. No. You but, love her. But I love her more. <laughs> I was just gonna say I know she's obnoxious. <laughs> which she is. But it is, it's like, it's boring. It seems like people really like jizz over blaming Courtney for anything they can think of. Yeah. Always. It's like, because I was, obviously, I'm trying to find things which makes you hate Billy Corgan. That's my jam. (laughs) And it was like fucking annoying because every article's like, fuck Courtney, Courtney's such a bitch, Courtney killed everybody in Staten Island. Uh. It didn't say that. Courtney is a Staten Island serial killer. This <laughs> is like, guys, fucking relax. Anyway. Anyway, she was friends with Billy Corgan. She wasn't just friends with him. Oh, that's what you say. So, Courtney was actually dating Billy before she met Kurt. Oh, as she mentioned, when he had lots of hair. <laughs> That's a sick one. Sick bird. Apparently, Billy was a real fucking tight ass uh, when it came to paying for Courtney's transport when she visited. Not surprised. I mean, it's uh, that's rarely happened for me, like being paid for. So, yeah, I wouldn't know. But like, if you want someone to visit you mm. and they're poor and you're, and you're not rich, for yeah, poor, that's the other thing. I don't really date rich dick. people. Um, I mean, I don't. How was he rich then? No, probably not. Um, but well, that was in 1991, so two years shy of there. Mm-hmm. Yes, probably not. Courtney obviously <laughs> married Kurt. You know the story. Episode blue boo blah. I don't mention that one. Blah. I struggle with that episode. But <laughs> Billy and Courtney then got back together in 2006. Uh, Sean Michaels wrote an article in the Guardian in 2010. <gasps> oh, after a Twitter feud between the two transpired. So Courtney began by tweeting, this is so tortured artist, waiting on a man whose every whim I've tried to engage and take like a white hot knife to the belly. Oh, God. Billy had some snappy comebacks. (gasps) Go somewhere nice and live off Kurt Cobain's money. (gasps) That is so rude. Just wait. Sleep knowing you have no honour. Oh, my God. I'm going to win. I'm going <laughs> to kill him 
and I'm never going to listen to Siamese Dream again. That's not even true. So a bit before this, Billy communicated to Rolling Stones magazine that he had written some tunes for Hole. And he said, it would be a real, this is published in an article, quote, it would be a real big problem if she used those songs. I haven't given permission. I have no interest in supporting her in any way, shape or form. Uh, You can't throw enough things down the abyss with a person like that. What? All of it is just so, like, everybody, the Oscar goes to, calm the fuck down. That is O-T-T-T-T-T. Just wait. This is when he really goes for the jugular. They're going to be really mad. Yeah. The world is aware of your lack of responsibility as seen in the government taking away your parental rights. <gasps> Only you could abandon such a beautiful, incredible child <gasps> who is smarter than you, cooler than you and better than you. Oops, did I say too much? Uh, according to you, the world is a vampire, so why don't you go suck <laughs> my fucking clit dick? Whoa. Fuck you. Well. Not you. That's okay. But then... Honestly, Courtney was classy as shit with her response. And I really like this. Like, I think high road, Courtney, said, all I am is nice about you, so if you want to be mean, be mean. I don't feel anything. I have too much to feel, dear. Yes. Nailed it. Fuck you, Billy. If it walks like a little dick and it talks like a little dick, it's probably a teeny tiny dick. Did she say that? I did. Good. (laughs) Uh, what year did that happen? I think 2006. Okay. I believe. I hate him. <laughs> oh, wait, no, sorry. The, well, that article was published in 2010. Okay, so it was probably around then. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Because it was Twitter, so it's quite, you know, like happens yeah, they immediately. Um, and in 2000, this is in 2014, Courtney posted a picture of herself Billy and wrinkly ball sack Brian Warner. And the oh, caption read, see all hatchets buried and true love never dies in the heart. But it's been deleted since then. Yeah. Not great for anyone. Yeah, look, let's not, let's not. Let's, let's pick and choose what we talk about when it comes <laughs> to Courtney Love. <laughs> I do, very strategically. Oh, um, she, <laughs> she did, like, support... Brian Warner, like, the day of um, the Evan Rachel Wood stuff. I saw it on my Instagram feed and I just went, just keep scrolling. Yeah, I bet you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so on that, he, um, Billy, was dear friends with Brian Fuckface Warner. But apparently they broke up because of some jealousy around Rose McGowan. Oh. Yeah. Right. I'm yeah. I'm sorry. I had no fucking interest in actually reading anything about Brian after what we know, thanks to Amber's very eye-opening, in-depth research in season three, episode eight. I don't care to read about him now. Thank you for that compliment. Oh, it's quite alright. It's been a very uh, popular episode, and if you haven't heard it, you should fucking listen to it because heavy. Because it's really horrible. To yeah, research and, and loads to of work do. for Ambula. So just do it, okay? This isn't a bad thing, but he had a relationship with Jessica Simpson. What? <laughs> <laughs> How weird is that? Um, apparently he's not into Western medicine and Ugh. has weak ankles, which he allows Air Jordans to cradle in safety. <laughs> mm, okay. 
Uh, he doesn't drink or do drugs. Boring. Boring. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's really it. And I know you've got a pretty big fella coming up, so I think I'm going to leave it there. Yep. I have opinions, but tell me what you think. You fucking beautiful unicorn. Look, I'm so easily swayed, and mm. that is true. It's true. I am. Uh, I'll I'll take Courtney's side always. I know, no, but what do you think about Billy? Oh, Billy Corgan. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. That subject of this uh, episode. Yeah. Um, look, I think I was fairly willing to hate him. Mm. I don't know if it's going to sway me from like listening to. It might, but it also might not. Stay tuned. Well, I'll have to let you know because update us. I've never really like liked him. Like I never wanted to bone him. I always thought his face was a bit gross. I thought he was a bit of a gross dork. <laughs> Is that bad to say? It's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, I think. The control stuff is pretty horrible and I can't imagine what Sounds like a nightmare to work like. with. Yeah, it would be really hard to be in a band with someone who was just like, this is all me, it's all me, it's all me and you have to do what I say. Yeah. And you'd be so conflicted to be like, well, do I stay making great music with this person, making money, which mm. is unheard of if you're a musician really, yeah. and having amazing experiences or... Do I stop being told what to do all the time? And yeah, that would be pretty bad. Totally. Okay, stay tuned. Let's take a little break, huh? Yeah. And when we come back, I'm going to really like get the fuck into it with probably the biggest shithead of all time. Wow. Yeah. Anthony Kiedis. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> See you soon. All right. This is a fucking heavy hitter, okay? This is long. This is pretty detailed and annoying. And maybe it's too detailed. Time will tell. So I'm doing Anthony Kiedis Mm -hmm. of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anthony Kiedis, what can I say? He's that fucking guy who will use any opportunity to take off his shirt. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> like, it's getting... Him and Iggy Pop. <laughs> it's getting old. He, he even takes off his shirt in the James Corbin, Corden carpool karaoke guy. Yeah. He even takes his shirt off in that video. I haven't watched that. Like, also, Cara, did you know that his favourite American state... Is California? I didn't. You I had, did. You what? did. You, you definitely <laughs> did. And that's crazy because did he sing that song California? Basically, <laughs> every fucking song he writes is about California. I wanted to name this story. I reread Scar Tissue, so you don't have to. <laughs> uh, but we don't name our episodes like that. So uh, yeah, I listened to it on Audible because I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, busy. You know, heaps busy. And, mate, it was a fucking hard slog. Yeah. It was a real bad time. 
I considered it with my my credit, my monthly credit, and then I was like, I don't want to. It sucked. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first read the book back when it came out in the mid noughties. I devoured it. Like, Me too. <laughs> and loved it, and like told everyone to read it. But in saying that, I did not like him after. Anyway, so let's start at the beginning. Anthony Kiedis was born November 1st, 1962, which makes him a Scorpio, like myself. Mm -hmm. It also makes him a 58-year-old man. Wow. Can you believe he's that old? No. Fucking hell. He's nearly 60. That's nuts. (laughs) It's so nuts. I had no idea he was in, like, I mean, there is a... A very big, there's a gap, but like He's my parents say. as shit. Fuck. Uh, anyway, it, it blew my mind. Uh, his mother, Margaret Noble, and his daddy, John Cadis, who was also known as Blackie Dammit, and I'm probably going to refer to him as Blackie from here on, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, They got married in 1960, like two months after they met, whirlwind-type romance situation that was destined for disaster. Red flags. Um, Yeah, and uh, Blackie was cheating on Margie within a couple of months of the wedding uh, and they had this very exhausting on-again, off-again, on-again, off-again thing for like a few years. And they lived all over, like they lived in L.A. where John was studying film. They lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where uh, I think where Anthony was born, uh, also where I think her family lived. Um, and they lived in Florida for a while where his family... The home of rock and roll. <laughs> the, the epicenter of American 90s rock. Clearly. <laughs> Um, when Anthony was just three years old, they split up and he was raised by his mother who had moved back to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Anthony fucking idolised his dad who was a real cool guy. Uh, he lived in LA and every year Anthony went out to stay with him for the summer. Uh, in the book, <laughs> Scar Tissue, uh, he said that those trips to California were the happiest, most carefree the world is a beautiful oyster times I'd ever experienced. So that's nice. That is nice. Yeah. When he was 12, he moved in with his father full time. And I'm pretty sure that if his mother had any clue what the fuck was going on down there, there's no funking way she would have <laughs> let that happen. Um, according to the book, she did protest a little bit, but um, as per... Anthony's summerly introductions to Blackie's L.A. lifestyle, of course he was despo to move there. Yeah. Um, His father knew all these movie stars and rock stars like Sonny Bono. Ooh. Was like a kind of... Watch out for that tree. He was like a pseudo-godfather. Cher babysat him. Oh, my God. Like... And that was post their breakup, but they were still, like, cool with each other. Yeah. Um, And his dad, Blackie, had parties at his house every other day. Like, how could she compete? She's a caring, Midwestern, stable woman. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And his father has Sonny and Cher and fucking drugs. Yeah. And tits and shit. 
Um, Can't go past And I'm tits. sure, like, the sunshine didn't hurt either because, you know, he loves sun because he loves California. Mm, I heard that. Uh, so Blackie was selling weed and cocaine to get by and he got Anthony on, on the game as a child. Pretty horrendous. They took on this very weird codependent situation. They were, like, obsessed with each other in the only way that a narcissist and a teenage boy who is also a fuck, like all teenage boys are fucking narcissists, um, <laughs> can be. Blanket like, statement. And they dress the same. Whoa. Yeah. Like Blackie would get these like cool guy outfits and then like get someone to make a tiny little one for Anthony. That's hilarious. And then would take him to clubs on right. on the Sunset Strip and like got him drunk and got him high and pretty much had a fucking wild life for anyone, let alone a kid. Yeah. Um, he went to Fairfax High where he met one Mike B, who was later and much more famously known as Flea. Love. What a sweet art he is. He's a bloody Aussie legend. He is. If you didn't know that, Flea is Australian. Mm-hmm. He's ours. You can't have him. Also, Australians just fucking love claiming anyone, <laughs> like anyone. Russell Crowe's not even Australian. Anyone who's ever been here. No, yeah. Anyone who visits, we're just like, oh, yeah, 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 they're Australian. <laughs> like I feel like maybe Keanu Reeves was born here or his... his no, he lived here he lived for a here little bit. He lived here when it was like two Yeah, or and we're like, oh, yeah, Keanu's Australian. He's basically Australian, Yeah, guys. Keanu. And, and we also <laughs> like, to, like, you know, Nicole Kidman, it's like our Nick. Mm. Our Keanu. Yeah. Uh, and also we'll take anyone from New Zealand. Oh, yeah, so. they're ours too because it's just a small little body of ocean. Crowded house. They're Australian Definitely now. Australian. They're not from New Zealand. <laughs> they don't live there. They do not come from there. Just they wrote a song about Melbourne. I mean, obviously they're Australian. They talk about the domain in Sydney. Anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. Um, so Such assholes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when Anthony and Flea were 15, they met this kid called Hillel Slovak and the three of them spent their teen years just, like, having fun and taking, like, drugs and eventually they formed a band after being exposed to the fucking epic West Coast punk scene. Mm-hmm. Even though um, that punk scene was super rad, they were also heaps into funk music, notably really into George Clinton Parliament, Funkadelic, that kind of fun stuff. Sick. Which is like, of course you are. Yeah. Of course you are. I can just imagine them on like Venice Beach. Oh, so adorable, right? Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to say that he graduated from high school with honours, just like Billy Corgan. Smarty pants. Oh, you wicked smart. He's wicked smart. Wicked smart. Even though he was a drug dealer, like with his dad at the (laughs) Rainbow Room. That's pretty amazing. uh, Which his dad called the Rainbow Room upstairs his office. Uh, Yeah. And he was like taking drugs and just generally causing mayhem. He was very smart, obviously. Which is super annoying <laughs> to me. Yeah. Uh, he did enroll at the University of California, of course. Where else would he go? Mm-hmm. Um, California. <laughs> he wanted to study writing, but I, I don't think he lasted. Maybe he lasted a couple of semesters. I don't know. He he didn't last. He dropped out. Fair enough. 
Um, so their band was playing around LA and they were doing okay. And then one night they played at a strip club and Anthony had this idea that if the women that were dancing around them had to take their clothes off, then the, the band should too. I like that. Um, so they played the show wearing nothing but socks on their dicks. Famous. Oh, it's pretty great. Mm. Um, he also said that the socks made their dicks look much bigger um, because, you know, like it looks like a Kong dong when you're fucking, when it's like as long as a fucking knee sock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that's funny. It's cute. <laughs> oh, anyway, the crowd at the club and the owner of the club like loved it and people even started booking them on the proviso that they would do the sock thing. Okay. So it, like, so was thing. a thing. Yeah. And, and I don't think that they, like, wanted it to be a thing, but, like, everyone loved it and it just yeah. made it a thing. Mm. Also, they, like, had a hot young man bods. So, yeah. You know? I used to have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I never had a young man bod. <laughs> I still look a bit like a teenage boy. <laughs> So they're super popular. Uh, they got a record deal with AMI and they made their first album, which was like self-titled Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then they toured a whole bunch. And then AMI somehow managed to convince George fucking Clinton to produce their second album, Freaky Styley. Wow. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. What a get. Yeah. Um, and that was released in 1985. But it didn't really go great, like not much better than their debut, which didn't do great at all. Yeah. Um, They're a burgeoning bunch. Yeah. So Anthony and Flea and Hillel were getting pretty deep into their drug use at this point and I think it was super, uh, like, precarious to use one of my favourite words. Love it. Like the whole, if you'd like me to... (laughs) explain what precarious means, I did in the next sentence here. Uh, <laughs> the whole thing could have easily fall apart at any minute. Why did I do that? Precarious is the word, Amber. Mm. Uh, anyway, I think Anthony was probably the worst of them with the drug use. Um, he really dove straight into it. They were getting ready to record their third album, but he was just doing so many drugs. Like all the drugs or did he have a like a drug uh, of choice? He he liked to take heroin. Yeah. And cocaine. At the same time like his people? Yes. Okay. And and if he couldn't get cocaine or if he couldn't get heroin, he would just like do crack or whatever. Cute. Um but you know, heroin and cocaine were his favourites. Yeah, it's not a great, just, it's not a good combo. It's a very dangerous combo. It's a pretty wild, man. Belushi. Belushi. Okay, so they're getting ready to record their third album. Um, He was, like, disappearing for days, going on, like, hectic drug benches that he probably didn't even know how long he was gone for. And then, like, coming to band practice, like, pinned, literally asleep, and so Flea was like, mate, you really suck at being in a band. So he kicked out until you go to rehab and get your shit together. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. I know. I wasn't there. So, of course, Anthony's like, fuck you, cunts. I'm going to go get high and have a nice time. And he, like, sinks into having a nice drug binge. Mm-hmm. And then he finds out 
that the band has won the LA Weekly Band of the Year Award. Ooh. And all the guys go to the awards thing without him and accept the award. They didn't even mention Anthony in their speech. And he's like, oh, this sucks. Fair enough. Oh, my band. And so he's like, I'm going to get clean. I'm going to actually try and do that, which I don't think he had done before. So he flies out to see his mum in Michigan to get his mum to help him out. And he gets off the plane. She's, like, horrified by how sick he looks. She takes him straight to the Salvation Army rehab. Boo, we hate them because in Australia they, like, Homophobes. Homophobes. They're against, like, trans kids. Fuck the salvos. Anyway, uh, so Anthony's there for 20 days, and this is the first time since he was 11 years old that he'd been free from drugs. And he was 24. He was 24. Jeez. Um, so, you know, it, it went really well. He was feeling really good. He's full of energy, enthusiasm. He wrote the song Fight Like a Brave, on the plane, home to LA, which I think is in my top five Chili Peppers songs. It's a fucking good song. Anyway, um, the band took him back. They resumed work on the album, The Uplift Mofo Party Plan. <laughs> Great um, He also started a relationship with Ione Skye, who mm. is a fucking rad bitch, yeah. and I'll talk more about her later. So, yeah, life's good for a while until he decided to go get wasted. Blah, 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 blah. This is basically like the story of his life. I'm probably going to say this too many times. You're going to be like, oh, I didn't want to read the book. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe he'd gone 50 days. Okay. Um, his addiction just picked up where it left off and his mates were worried about him, but his work with the band was, like, thriving. So, but he they, came, so he came back to L.A. clean and then now... Finished he, the album, was fucking amazing. Yeah. They start touring and then he's like, mm, I'll just get back on drugs again. Um, and was still doing quite well. Yeah. Uh, so they didn't kick him out. Functional. However, Hillel was not doing great with his heroin addiction and after the band came home, after the international tour, Halil horrifically died from a heroin overdose. Yeah. It's just like such a fucking horrific waste and it makes me want to cry. Yeah. Because he was incredibly talented and he was a beautiful person. He was a human being and it's really fucking awful. I'm not going to go into that uh, anymore. That's all you need to know. Uh, Anthony was not in any way scared straight by the death of his best mate. Really? Um, in fact, he ran away to Mexico with Ione. Uh, he didn't even go to Halil's funeral. Oh. He just got super wasted in Mexico in an attempt, I guess, to ignore what was actually happening in his life. Uh, and then a few, but a few weeks later, um, a mate sort of convinced him to come home, gently coerced him, lured back. him yeah. to uh, Hillel's grave, um, mm. and he was inspired to check into rehab again. And uh, Flea, our Flea, and Anthony decided to keep the band going as it was something that Halel had helped build. Yeah. It was they were all part of it together. Uh so they were like, we're gonna keep going. 
We need a new drummer and a new guitar player. So John Frusciante and Chad Smith joined the band. And Chad. Voila! They're back in business. Um, they made Mother's Milk and it was a lot more commercially successful. And then the record label bought in the big guns for the Who? next album. Rick motherfucking Rubin. Ding, ding, ding. Like imagine the joy of being a band in the any 90s mm. and your record label going, we got Rick Rubin. It's better than Phil Spector. Yeah, it is a lot better. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, cool. Um, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic was a massive hit. Massive, massive, massive. I'm not going to tell you. Amazing stuff. album. It's just like it sold bajiglians. Gladys bajiglians <laughs> amount of copies. It's going to be really loud, my life. <laughs> Uh, they toured the world with uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and the Smashing Pumpkins. Mm. Actually, uh, Anthony says about <laughs> Billy mm-hmm. that they connected because they both like playing basketball. Oh, there and you go. And he was like, he's a really good basketball player, but he had some serious control issues when it came to anyone in his band being around them. Right. Yeah, he was like, even back then. Yeah. Um, they were really famous very quickly and poor old sensitive John Frusciante was a bit traumatised by all the attention and he quit the band. Also in 1991, Anthony and Al Flea were in Point Break. Fuck yeah, they were. It's the greatest film ever made and... I believe even better made by their cameo, that would be a waste of time. (laughs) If you know, you know. I feel like we should Um, watch that tonight. And I love how when Anthony says that line, he waves his arms around in the exact same way that he does in Under the Bridge in the film clip. Right. Um, I also love how he gets shot in the foot and blood goes everywhere and it's gory and amazing. Love it. Okay, so then they hired uh, Dave Navarro. They made One Hot Minute. Anthony was on and off smack consistently, on, off, on, off. Uh, John came back for Californication, blah, blah, blah. Apparently they sold out. Right. Right, right. Right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Right. Look, I don't think selling out is bad. Like, get paid people. And also people change. I mean, the um, Bob Dylan, though, season look. two, episode one. Like him on the Chrysler, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, I guess there's like a thing. Like if your music suddenly appeals to a bunch of people, I, I don't know whose fault that is. Did you do that on purpose? Yeah, probably, maybe. I used to just listen to their CDs like constantly. Like whenever I was doing my homework at night, I just listen, listen, listen to them on like repeat and... I feel like I'm of a generation that just loved them. They were just, the Red Hot Chili Peppers were just a part of our fucking lives. Yeah. And. Mine too, though. And they did transport you to this place. Like, I didn't leave Australia till I was 19. And it really transported you to California. (laughs) 
<laughs> because that's his favorite place. California. <laughs> this is a gag, but like it's a little it's a bit gag, we've got though. going on. But um, yeah, like it did kind of just like bring you into that that whole world. It's like um, there was something about that that I really loved. Also, I thought Anthony Kiedis was hot. I also read Scar Tissue and I remember reading it and, like, I definitely didn't like him at the end of it at all, but I still listened to them. But, like, I was, like, I found that very fucking angering and problematic, which is saying something because I feel like it took quite a bit. Like, I said... It was your first, sorry, he sucks. (laughs) It was mine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, and like, I I read Brian Warner's autobiography (laughs) and I feel like I had more of an anger towards Anthony Kiedis and also exactly the same as you. I went through a real stage of reading, like, rock star autobiographies, which we've spoken about before, but then, like, just being like, I fucking hate these people. I don't want to read any more of these because they're fucking ruining... Everything. Yeah, fucking everything. Um, Yeah, I think it just reminds me of like, well, right now it reminds me of a fucking simpler time where I was just like at home smoking out my window, listening, (laughs) thinking my parents didn't know I smoked like a silly person. Uh, But they did. Uh, they yeah. they did. Sasha, it stinks, man. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's kind of it. It's just like that real nostalgia kind of music for me and I listened to a bit of it like in the lead up to this and I did consider buying, I said before, like, but I considered buying Scar Tissue again and listening to it and I was like, I'm not going to waste that. Mm-mm, don't. Because I remember being I'm like, you're a fucking <laughs> egotistical nightmare. Yeah. But I would like you, like the thing is I haven't really revisited them or listened to them that much until the lead up to this episode and, yeah, after that book I kind of, but I'm pretty ready for you to rip them. Yeah, good. A new one. Look, I don't usually do this because of the way that we format this podcast, but I have to, like I can't. Uh, go on without also saying how important the Red Hot Chili Peppers were to me as a young person. When I was 12 years old, which is 1991, when Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out, my bestest sweet sister, Toya Mackenzie, you better be listening to this, uh, her uh, older sister, not not related to me, uh, gave her a copy of Blood Sugar Sex Magic on tape, which is, first of all, incredibly inappropriate to give to a 11-year-old girl. Mm, yeah. But also fucking amazing. And we used to stand at the bus stop and sing So Psycho Sexy at people. I'm like, this is like a primary school bus. <laughs> 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 like... I said, what's up now, suck my dick and stuff. Like, that's. Love that for you. I, I've been listening to them in the car, and um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic is like the best driving music. Mm. I uh, did. I'll have to burn it onto a CD. <laughs> 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 
Oh, all right. So before I get into all the fucked up shit he did, I want to first talk about some of the fucked up shit his father did, like, to him or around him. Yeah. We're giving the foundation. And I feel like, yeah, it's important to have some context. Absolutely. Um, Context is very important. Or maybe it's not important. Maybe you think it's not, but I'm still going to give it to you. The more I learn about his father, the more that I almost felt sorry for Anthony, and this is like after I read his horrific shit book. Mm -hmm. So um, when Anthony was 12, his father, um, he always dated really, really young girls, like 2018, and I'm sure that that has got to be part of like his view of women. Absolutely. He loved his dad. You know? Yeah. And when he would go and stay with him in the summer times uh, before he moved there, his dad just, because he was partying all night or um, he just would sleep all day <laughs> while Anthony's there, like, to spend time with his dad. And so he would, like, get up at, like, a normal kid time, like a 10-year-old or whatever, and then just read porno mags. Wow. Because that's what his dad had, like, in the house. Okay. Um, and his dad was totally fine with that Whoa. and would, like, catch him doing it and then instead of being like, oh, God, and talking to him about porn, would just be like, isn't she so sexy? So that's great. Great parenting. Um, also when he was eight. Uh, I'm putting myself in his shoes and my father in, in, <laughs> in, in the other shoes, no, the dad's shoes. No, you think I'm- about, like, some... Guy called Blackie, who's like yeah. But if my dad was Blackie and he was like, "Isn't she so sad?" <laughs> I'd be like, "Oh, go do someone's yeah, taxes." Well, like, <laughs> um, when he was eight, uh, Blackie told him, like, explained in depth what to do if the cops came to the door, and was like, "Here are a bunch of things you can say to the cops to stall them at the door, and here is what you need to say loudly." so that I will wake up and jump out the window and I'm going to run to this place and um, in two days you can find me here. Two days? Eight years old? Like that was his fucking plan? I don't think that ever had to happen, but that's really scary and very. Um, he was like really frightened of that happening. Yeah. Which, of course, you would be. Very if you, warranted. If your parents sit you down and be like, this is really serious, um, if the police come to the door, I could be taken away from you and you may never see me again. So if they come to the door, you have to do this and this and this or I will never see you. Like that's intense yeah. shit to put on an eight. Have you met an eight-year-old? Not recently. They're very... <laughs> Small, sweet, small babies. I haven't met anyone recently. There's not a huge difference between, like, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Like, they're they're just still playing and, oh, God, it just sort of breaks my heart. And at the age of either four or eight, I can't remember, and as I just said, it's pretty much the same, um, he's walking down the street with his dad and his dad was smoking a joint and he grabbed Anthony's face and blew out like a... Blowback. Yeah, that's what it's called, into his face and he got really stoned. Wow. And at 11, 
Blackie taught him how to roll a joint and shared it with him and then encouraged him to take photos of his girlfriend, Blackie's girlfriend, topless. No. I just find that really fucked up and gross. How uh, old was he? 11. Oh, my God. 11. Yeah. Um, he was a cover for his father's drug smuggling operation. He made Anthony put, like, like go to the airport and make Anthony carry the luggage that had drugs and cocaine, I'm pretty sure, oh. put the... And made Anthony put the bags on the carousels at the airport. Then they'd go sell the drugs. And then they came back with like 30 grand in cash, made Anthony, had it taped to Anthony's body on the way home. Oh, my God. And he would have customers coming over at like all hours of the night begging to get drugs, like waking Anthony up constantly just being like, man, can I get... Um, And he... He would, as I said before, he took Anthony out on the weekends to clubs. Um, Blackie was nicknamed the Lord of the Sunset Strip. Fuck off. So gross. Um, And look, the strip in the 70s would have been a fucking good time. Absolutely. Everyone would have looked amazing. And the Coke would have been so good. And everyone was just like so good. Having the best time. But maybe not so much for like a 12-year-old kid. And he said that before that they would go out for the night, his dad would give him a beer and a pill called a tuanol. Tylenol. No, a tuanol. Oh. And I don't know how to spell that. (laughs) Um, But so because I like listen to the audio book. Oh. A tuanol. Are you sure it's um, not a Tylenol? Well, no, it's not because his dad would take them and they were like his dad's favourite party drugs. Oh. But it sounds like they were kind of like Rohypnol or like kind of like Special K or something. Like if you took too many, you would kind of go into a K-hole and your legs didn't work. Okay. Some uh, Anthony would have to help his dad home. But he would like give Anthony like a half a one and like a glass of beer before they even went out. Is this pre-gaming with your dad? (laughs) When he's like a child. (sighs) And that he was the only kid in this whole gang of uh, drug-fucked well, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank God. Uh, when he was 11, he decided that he wanted to lose his virginity and his father had some gorgeous 18-year-old girlfriend who was definitely closer in age to Anthony than he was to his father. Been and, there. Uh, ew. <laughs> no, I was the girl. I was the woman. Oh, oh, the girl. <laughs> oh. Uh, one night when they were at the Rainbow Ram, Anthony... Uh, who was high on a quaalude or a two-and-all, wrote his dad a note that said, I know, and I'm quoting the note, I know this is your girlfriend and I'm pretty sure she's up for the task, so it's if it's okay with you, can we arrange a situation where I end up having sex with Kimberly tonight? And apparently they went back to the house and his dad was like, okay, there's the bed, there's the girl, do what you will. Oh, shit. Um, so that's a really fucked up thing. Um, he was 11 I'm years stressed. old. Um, he said 
that he was never traumatised by it. I don't know, considering the way that he lived his life. Um, And all this stuff is in the book. Yeah, it's been a long time. And I also found a pretty shocking video on YouTube with clips uh, from a a BBC show called Help, My Kid's a Rockstar. Maybe it's not BBC. Maybe it's just some English show. Channel 4 maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, And here are some classic blackie quotes from that interview. Okay. Um, So (laughs) when asked if it might have been inappropriate to encourage his girlfriend to have sexual intercourse with his 11-year-old son, he said, quote, I wanted him to be the first guy in his class to have sex with girls. What bad comes from that? It didn't hurt him. He enjoyed it. It didn't hurt her. She enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he also says that his parenting style was born from his father being a massive controlling, like, like just like basically a county bastard. Um, and that so he decided he'd let Anthony do whatever he wants. Uh, and speaking as a childless woman, look, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, I don't know, but don't do that. Mm. <laughs> I don't have a child, but don't let your children do whatever they want. No. Um, And when Anthony was a very sick drug addict, Blackie said, quote, sure I lectured him and Anthony was like, you'll want to talk. He basically just like didn't feel guilty about anything. He said he felt, quote, bad but not guilty. Um, but he was still like, it's not all my fault. It's rock and roll. This man is fucking and horrible. And he like literally cries when he reads the lyrics of this song called You Were All of My Saviour or something. Um, and the interviewer asks him what it means and Blackie says, he forgives me for whatever he had against me before. Oh, go fuck I had a game plan and I think it worked. What? It would have been wrong to let him grow up to be a Midwestern insurance salesman. That would have been a shame and for that I would be sorry. Like, I'm sure you would, mate. Like, who would buy you cars and houses and big expensive fucking stuff and Andy Warhol paintings like he has... Like, I get it. I would be doing nice things like that for my parents too. But also you, like, totally fucked him up. Mm. Take some fucking, like, like he he's happy to take credit for the good bits, but, like, no accountability. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, he sounds like an absolute nightmare. He died last year. Mm. Um, I'm sure Anthony Kiedis is sad about that. My commiserations. Uh, in a June 2006 interview, he was asked if he had regrets about writing Scar Tissue and he said, quote, I did regret the book for a while as there was some pain caused then. I started seeing the long-term positive reverberating. People were reading it in hospitals, in prisons and schools and it was having a positive effect. I realised that the whole point of writing the book wasn't for me, but to show that somebody can go all the way down and come all the way back and have a productive, successful, happy and interesting life. And so whatever shame, pain or or difficulty or discomfort I went through, it was worth it because I get so many people coming up to me saying their kids read it and got their act together. What? Okay, whatever. I'm sure his total lack of awareness is very helpful to inmates, 
I'm sure that he... I'm sure that the fact that he basically said every woman that he boned was the most beautiful, the most magical, pure connection, blah, blah. I'm sure that's very valuable information to hospital patients. Mm. And I'm sure that high school kids, knowing that he literally said that one of the reasons he wanted to go to a particular school were that they were, quote, hot little 13-year-olds walking around. I'm sure that's incredibly beneficial. The gross misogyny in this book is relentless. There's a bit in the book where he's a teenager. Um, I think where he says, quote, they were rich little prima donna debutante girls with names like Jennifer and Michelle. Like, what the fuck? Jennifer and Michelle. My sister's name. You go uh, fuck yourself. Shout out to all the Jennifers and Michelles. Fuck Anthony Cages. Um, their skin tight jeans came in a myriad of pastel colors and did something truly wonderful to the adolescent female body. Just framed it and formed it and cupped it perfectly. Ew. Like it just feels like he's still. Absolutely. It's yeah. a present tense. It's rank. It is. He doesn't just explain to us all how much of a gross perv he is in the book this way. He also admits to being a pedophile. Um, he tells the story of how he met a girl at a show, had sex with her, uh, and then after she tells him that she's 14 years old, he takes her over state lines in the tour bus and continues to have sex with her. Quote, The next day we drove to Baton Rouge and, of course, she came with us. After we got off stage, she came up to me and said, I have something to tell you. My father's chief of police in the entire state of Louisiana is looking for me because I've gone missing. Oh, and besides that, I'm only 14. I wasn't incredibly scared because in my somewhat deluded mind, I knew that if she told the chief of police she was in love with me, he wasn't going to have me taken out into a field and shot. But I did want to get her the hell home straight away. So we had sex one more time. What a gentleman. I believe this encounter was the inspiration for the classic song, Catholic Schoolgirls Rule. Right. Ew. Mm. The whole fucking book is just sex stories. That's literally it. There's a hefty sprinkling of drug use, but mostly it's just stupid, boring sex stories. I don't give a fuck about the time a girl sucked you off when you're on stage. I care even less about the story about how you were surprised when you were, like, fucking a fat chick, as you call it, and... You make her get you some coke and how you had a great time fucking her because she wasn't hot, so there was no pressure. Wow. That made my blood boil. It also fucking infuriates me that he just had zero shame about this behaviour. Like he wrote a book about it. Yeah. And it defo glam- And it's a big book. It glamorises it. <sighs> I... Like, I'm sure he would say now, look, I'm telling all my bad stories, but it doesn't read that way. No, not at all. He's saying, like, I feel like heroin is kind of fun, but, like, addiction is bad. And, like, misogyny is normal. Women are hot. Disposable. Disposable, fuck yeah. Um, I am what I am, like all that bullshit. It's a dick. So, like, disgusting. So I'm just going to, like, do a very quick run through of some, like, 
bad girlfriend shit. So he had this uh, girlfriend called Jennifer Bruce in 1985 who he met at some party um, and he was instantly obsessed with her because she was fucking cool as shit mm-hmm. and she like blew him off. Um, and then he went on this freaky style tour. He couldn't stop thinking about her because she's fucking cool as shit. Um, so when he came back, he tracked her down and then they began this very toxic, fucked up two-year relationship. Um, and he was very much loving his speedball situation at that point. It's always good for a healthy relationship it to is love a speedball. And Jennifer was supposed to put up with so much fucking ludicrous shit from him. He would just disappear for like a week. Mm. And I was like, he's a hectic drug addict. She would probably think he's dead the whole fucking time. No contact. He's just gone. Um, And then when he was on tour, he would just literally fuck like anyone, even fat chicks. Um, then when he came home, he just, like, gaslit the fuck out of her, saying, oh, I didn't cheat on you. And he had this friend called Kim, who he, a female friend who he liked to take drugs with, and I think he was, like, living with her or staying with her sometimes. And Jennifer, of course, got super suspicious. And here's a cute bit uh, from the book about that. Quote, even though I was mainly staying at Kim's house, Jennifer was still my girlfriend. Jennifer became convinced that Kim and I were having sex. One day she came by Kim's house and Kim and I were sound asleep, naked and cuddling up. No romance, just friendship. Jennifer didn't see it that way. And Kim and I woke up to Jennifer shattering the bedroom window. She's crazy! (laughs) Um, One time she, like, catches... Anthony and this Kim woman in the car and Kim has no shirt on and Anthony is sucking her tits. Yes. And he's still like, no, Jennifer, you're so crazy. I'm not cheating on you. No, it's true. I mean, like, to be fair, (laughs) if I had a dollar for every time my tits had been sucked by my male friends, I would be really fucking poor. (laughs) (laughs) We're just... Chilling out. I am really cool. That's so weird. Uh, they just fought all the time. Um, one time the night before a tour was starting, they were just like screaming at each other and a neighbour called the police. The cops showed up and Jennifer just like kept screaming at him. Um, and the cops just like looked at Anthony. He had out- outstanding warrants, drug stuff. Mm. Um, so he just got thrown in jail immediately. Um, and then got bailed out in the morning and just, like, went on tour and they just, like, didn't see each other for a while. Cute. And then when he gets home, he finds out that Jennifer had had sex with the keyboard player from Fishbone, Chris Fish. And I just also want to say here that Fishbone are such a fucking great band and it's a dang shame that they're not more famous. Listen to Fishbone. Far superior, like, rock funk. There are actually black musicians. They're actually really good musicians too, so listen to Fish Mode. Anyway, so Anthony dumps Jennifer because she fucked this guy. Oh, yeah, no, fair enough. Of course. Um, uh, he also fucked that 14-year-old during that time. Yeah, wow. that's yeah. okay. Right. Um, at some point they get back together and then the Chili Peppers have a show with Fishbone. 
And Chris Fish suggests that Jennifer do backup vocals for Fishbone because she's like a singer and a performer and she's fucking cool as shit. Uh, and Anthony's like, no, you can't because I'm a jealous fuckwad. And then she's like, I'm going to do it anyway. Good for her. <laughs> and so as revenge, Anthony pulls aside this really young woman before their set and asks if she'll come out on the stage naked when they play Foxy Lady at the end of their set. She's like, yeah, I'll do it topless. And there's a video of this that you can watch on YouTube. Right now you can go and watch it. So, like, this woman comes out topless. She straddles Anthony, like, on the ground. (laughs) It's really intense. And then Jennifer, this fucking babe with, like, a bright yellow mohawk, comes on the stage, like, furious, pushes the woman off Anthony (laughs) and then, like, attacks him. She's, like, bashing his in the face and she's, like... Bashing Anthony? Yeah, and then she grabs the microphone and just goes, Fuck off! Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and then they really broke up. Then he moves on to Ioni Sky, who, uh, for starters, was 16. He's 25. Uh, She's the daughter of folk singer Donovan. You know, she's in a probably weird, possibly fine uh, Hollywood world family. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, imagine if you're, like, a sweet, gorgeous 16-year-old and you move in with Anthony Kiedis at the peak of his, like, drug addiction. Yeah, that's fucking hectic. Oy, 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 like, what a fucking nightmare. Anyway, uh, she went on to marry Adam Horowitz. Ad-Rock from the Beastie Boys you. before he was with Kathleen Bikini Kill Hannah. And now she lives in Sydney and she's married to Ben Lee, which is wild. Give us a call, Ione. I want to hang out and like talk shit about how Anthony Kata sucks. Wouldn't that be a rad bonus episode? Yes. Mm. If anyone has an in, let me know. Oh, my God, we're nearly done. I'm so sorry. Anyway, from here he mostly went out with really young models, notably poor Jamie Rashar, who he dated from 93 to 96, hid his addiction from until one day when he dropped her off somewhere and couldn't wait to get home to do drugs. She came back to the car to find him smoking crack in the car on the street in, like, Rodeo Drive or something. I just made that up. I don't know where they were. Um, (laughs) Then she tried to get him off drugs and then spent a fucking lot of time and energy into making him healthy and clean, and then he dumped her. Nice. And this is what he says in the book. Quote, I got this epiphany. Epiphany? (laughs) I got this epiphany that this period of my life had come to an end and it was time to be single again, to be alone. I looked at Jamie one day and thought, I'm not in love with her anymore, for no reason. It was nothing she did. I told Jamie, but she didn't accept it. I went back to LA and she came out. There was a lot of crying and ranting and then she packed up herself and got back on the red eye and left. Then he had quite a long relationship with this other model called Johanna Logan, which was very long and painful. They met, they were both clean addicts. Um, and then at some point, like, he's like, I want to do some drugs. And she's ah, like, oh, yeah, I don't know. And then basically he dumps her because she is back on drugs again. Right. 
Yeah, okay. I remember that. That was a bit you that made her do it at the same. At, what at the time of reading it, I remember that really annoyed oh, me. It was fucking horrific, and the way he wrote about it, it just it really pissed me off. I'm angry. Yeah. Uh, uh, he went out with a few more 22-year-old models. He's probably with an 18-year-old right now. Uh, notable mentions of his girlfriends, just for fun. I'll go on. Nina Hagen in 1983. No, 1983. Sinead O'Connor. Ooh. He wrote, I could have lied about their boring little tryst. Oh. Um, he went out with Madonna. Oh. Bijou Phillips, mm, mm-hmm. uh, Spotty Spice, Mel C. Yes, and Laura. Where the bloody hell are you, Bingle? I nearly said, "Where the fuck are Lara. you?" <laughs> <laughs> where the fuck are you? That would be a better tourism slogan for Australia. Thank you, Slobo. Uh, anyway, um, Lara Bingle. Yeah, it was, he went around Lara Bingle. Like she was young and a model, so oh, yeah, of course yeah. she looks pretty California. Yeah, she's a surfy bad. Yeah. Um, in terms of actual legal shit, uh, in 1990 he was charged with sexual battery and indecent exposure after he allegedly touched a woman's face with his penis backstage after a show. <sighs> He denied ever touching the woman, but others said, like, they saw the incident and uh, a band member, not disclosed in this article, um, admitted that, like, he had made an encouraging statement, like, while it was happening. So it fucking happened. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to add that this is not a story that was in the book. No, I don't Um, recall. And I just wonder, like... What he thinks of all this now, like really, like if he still thinks all that shit is cool, and I wonder what kind of father he is. But also, this kid was like sexually abused by his father's girlfriend at the bidding of his father. Like he was given drugs by the adults who were supposed to be taking care of him. I mean, I don't know what I thought would happen to him when he grew up. Like, mm. how could he have clear? eyes, especially like when you consider the fact that this child grew up to be a rock star who can basically do like whatever the fuck they want. Like, Yeah. Um, but he grew up in that construct anyways. Yeah. And just stayed in it forever. Yeah. Look, the band has some pretty fun songs. Like I feel like people pay a lot of shit on the Chili Peppers now. I think they're a good band, but whether that transpires into being good people or well, what do you think about people, what do you think about him? I think he's a fucking dick. He's just like he's an absolute twat. But don't you also think that he's like? Do you think he is solely to blame for what a fucking douchebag he is? No, but no one is solely to blame. No, if, no one is solely to blame, but. Okay, do you think he is half to blame? <laughs> yeah, fucking 100%. <laughs> As someone who was brought up in a particular way and turned completely against that way mm. into an entirely different direction, I, I, and obviously I did not have an upbringing like Anthony Giddis, I can certainly assure everyone of that, but... At the same time, there 
is a moment where you gain that individual individuality and you become the person that you're going to be. I'm not sure and if you, you make, do if you're addicted to heroin. Sorry, am I yelling at you? No, no, but I mean, like, I think obviously, you know, that's definitely a contributing factor and, you know, I, I wasn't addicted to heroin. But I also think that there is accountability and like a moment where you do become an adult and you make choices and you, you know. I mean, I just wonder if maybe he only made that choice like in the last 10 years. What choice? (laughs) To be like not a fuckwit. Is he not a fuckwit now? I don't now? know. Like he, what, he does yoga every day? Well, who am I? I do too. He a new book, but like he's a solo parent. I He's in a band that just like works pretty hard. I mean, he worked pretty hard when he was a fucking womanizing drug addict too, so I don't know. I think he's like been, I, I just don't think it, like. I wish he would like write a new a, introduction to the book or something. yeah. I don't think that his behaviour is excusable. I don't either. I'm just saying, isn't it interesting? It is interesting. Um, I do think he sucks. He sucks. Sorry, too much, too little, too late. Like He sucks so much. There's way too many kind of instances of having sex with fucking teenagers. Oh, I, honestly, he was so old to be doing that shit. But also... Too. Like, that's not okay. He it's knew absolutely it was not, not okay. And the other side of that is that he then essentially fucking bragged about it yes. in a doorstop of a book. Like, it's fucking huge. And a song huge. called Catholic School Girls Rule. Yeah. I mean, which annoyingly is one of their best early songs. I don't like that song, but like, <laughs> I just think mm. that he's delusional. Yeah, he's fucked. To have that lack of awareness of the way that book comes across and uh, the way yeah. that you're describing these situations in such like a nonchalant, like I'm totes cool and fine. It's I, like no. Yeah. I'm sure all of the people that came up to him and was like, it changed my life were just like, I just never really liked a book before, but it was about all the stuff I'm interested in, which is all shit. Drugs stuff. and yeah. sex <laughs> with underage yeah. girls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think he sucks. Okay, good. I agree. Um, Thanks for joining me on this hate journey. um, I was actually in a basketball team for quite some time called the Funky Monks. (laughs) Oh, that is probably one of my favourite songs of Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah. Uh, Look, go and listen to Blood Sugar Sex Magic and then think about what a prick Anthony Kiedis is and see if it's still fun. Have a go. Um, We are so grateful to be able to do this again and we really adore you and we (laughs) really like you. So much. To leave, (laughs) like you to leave a review. Oh, that's what we want. Leave us a review and you can't uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts anymore and you have to follow us. It's like changed everything. But you can still uh, rate and um, review. We'd really like reviews. There's some. There's some really great ones. I don't know if it helps too if you follow us on Spotify or I don't. I really, don't think you can. Oh well, yeah, yeah. That's can how you? you like see new episodes. I don't know. I listen to everything on Apple Podcasts because I'm like me too. A dinosaur. 
I just Are don't. We? I yeah. I just don't like a lot of people use other formats. I formats. I don't know what they're called. Neither. Um, look, platforms. Just listen to it and tell your friends to listen to it. Tell your mom to listen to it. My mom loves it. My mom doesn't. No. I'm going to make her. I'm going to send Absolutely her. Absolutely not. No. Denise. That's a cease and desist from here. Denise, Denise. <laughs> um, you're going to love this episode. Also, Denise, Denise. Instagram, Facebook, that stuff. Amber does a fucking stellar job. Thank you. All right. I'll, I'll set you all free now. It's pretty we'll see you next week. We're doing episode. comedians. Oh, comedians. Comedians. And not only comedians, but like. The creme de la creme. The creme de la creme of like. Heroes. Top shelf. We're talking top from shelf. From forever. This is like the triple A list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I'm excited. Okay. Love you. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. We have used multiple sources in the research for this podcast. All of these can be found in the show notes. This podcast was written by Kara Nissen and Amber Jones with music and engineering by Morgan and Jones. DJ Morgs! <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have laughed. I like it.